0: You know, it's not every day you come across somebody who is living out their life's purpose. And when you do come across somebody like that, it is uh, attractive and enticing because you can feed off the energy that that person is producing. So I am very excited today to share with you a conversation that I have with Janine Letford, who's living out her purpose. And she created a, a genuinely unique idea that she calls intercultural creativity. And there's a framework, uh, what she calls seven gems around this idea of intercultural creativity that we dive into uh, regarding uh, today's conversation. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, If you're looking for a way to certainly level up your school, this is a new lens in which you can uh, just view effective leadership, effective schooling, Uh, and doing things that will meet the needs and prepare our kids for the future. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to recruit. Develop, retain, and inspire outstanding individuals and teams to deliver on the vision of your school in leading people, a certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during covid Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Makers! I am so excited today to connect with uh, just an awesome person, new to my network, Uh, but she is she is lovely. Janine Ledford, an award winning speaker, best selling author, and corporate trainer on creative thinking and this trademarked idea. It's called intercultural creativity. And that's what we're really digging into today. She's the founder of Cafe Strategies and has inspired and led many to reconnect their creative abilities in order to produce innovative ideas for an inclusive workspace. So, Janine. Welcome to this show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, yes. So I think Megan is who introduced us, and she's just like so amazing, and so that just like automatically means that you're amazing, <laughs> and you know you do not disappoint. I, I want to start. I want to start with a story. It might be a difficult story for you, but you, you were telling me how you once had to apologize to your students about preparing them for the future. So can you bring us to that aha moment for you?
1: Well, as I got into the workforce and just really saw some of the elements that a life well lived that you really had to have, I really looked back on what I thought I was giving my kids and realized that we were missing the boat on a lot of critical ones. I saw myself in a unique position. I taught elementary school K-5 for my entire teaching career. And then I started a non a nonprofit for six through 12, the, the graduates who came out of my elementary school. And then I was asked to teach a master's program at, at, at CSUN, the local uni, university in California. And then I was on the board of an organization called DonorsChoose.org, which helps teachers get materials into the classroom. So in one week, I saw a four-year-old all the way to a 64-year-old, different demographics, different education levels, different uh, financial levels. And so that's really what put me in a unique position of saying, what are the true skills that really help people have a, a life well, well lived, that they can be agile and pivot well and adapt well. And so that's really what brought me to the point of going back to my students and saying, you know, we, we, we missed some key things here that we have to go, go
0: back and fix. Do you remember like what, did you have to talk yourself up and psych yourself up to say that to your students or did that come natural to you? I believe
1: that, you know, a true teacher is like the lead learner in the classroom. And in my seven gems of intercultural creativity, I talk, I talk about the first gem, the creative growth mindset. And one way to make sure that your students have a growth mindset is to, to, um, to walk out what you want them to walk out, to be transparent in your growth mindset journey. So for me to have a position of humility and a level of vulnerability to, to tell, tell them that I, want to be the example of how I want them to be as, you know, when you come across new information, you need to fluctuate and sometimes go back and and fix things. So it really wasn't hard. It was what I needed to do in in
0: that way. I was teaching them how to do it within their own own lives as well. Yeah. So I heard that in terms of being the lead learner and just living, I guess, aligned, you know, to your values and what you say you're all about. So thank you. uh, Thank you certainly for doing that. Uh, that that probably represents something that makes you unique. And I know that you have an idea called the onlyness of you. <laughs> and uh how what makes you unique is your your superpower. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure,
1: that's actually uh, an, an idea from Nilifer Murphan out of the Harvard Business um, re- review. And it really goes in it's in alignment with my diamond, my logo is a diamond for my company. And I use it metaphorically to tell people that, you know, you're 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 a diamond, you're multifaceted, and all the other metaphors that you can pull out from that. The aspect of the onlyness of you or being your unique self is key because that's what the workplace need. The World Economic Forum listed creativity, right? Innovative thought as the number one skill needed in the workforce today. But a lot of us don't even know what that word really means. You know, a third of the population think it's just like the art, singing and dancing. And so we really have to get that fixed there. But what people Need what the workforce need, what our world needs. It um, needs in order to move forward is that unique perspective that the onlyness of you can bring. Only you, sitting in your position right now, has had your unique mixture of experiences, your demographics, your psychographics, everything put together in this beautiful mosaic. Mm. When you come to the room, you're bringing that, and no one else can bring that. And so, sadly, I felt you know going through the standard. Sometimes we we take that from our kids, that ability to stand up and uniquely offer their perspective. And so we have, I know, you know, educating a large group, group group, group, of kids, the standardization, you know, it's a part of the process, but for this next era of thinking and this next future of work, we have to do a more, a, a, a better job of really making sure our, our kids are Strong in their ability to stand in their unique truth.
0: Absolutely. You know, I show up and serve school leaders. And we have a very special community called the Mastermind. One of our agreements is that we picked you to be you, right? And so I think that's something maybe we are aligned with in terms of that, that uniqueness and the, as a superpower. Uh, you, you mentioned how creativity is sort of this number one skill. That that folks need to be successful in the marketplace these days, but we don't have a necessarily a great definition of it. So, how how do you look at creativity? Sure, well that's that's like my my (laughs) work my work now
1: and just coming through uh, K K twelve and then being a part of the university system for a a little bit and now in corporate, I saw the issue that people were having with dealing with the mental relationship with that word. And so, you know, you have a lot of people saying, oh, I'm not creative. You know, I can't sing, sing, and dance. So you have that. And then you have people who have something I'm terming creative abuse. Maybe a comment was said in their childhood or something, you know, you know, your idea is stupid or, or, you know, don't quit your day or whatever. But I have met adults who are holding on to one experience in like the 10th grade that is affecting their ability to show up creatively. And so I am, my company and I, in my research, we are proposing the new definition that creative thinking is the process of problem solving and problem finding with relevance, value, and novelty. And so highly creative people, this is what my research has has shown over and over again, they're not just waiting for their leaders or bosses to drop problems in their lap. They they are actively engaged. They are curious. They're asking questions. Well, why are we doing it this way? Well, well, what about this way? Has this ever been tried before? You know, and and they are looking at different ways to solve problems. And so when you look at the cognitive skills needed for creative thinking, which artistry is attached to creative thinking, but it's not all of creative thinking. It's, you know, divergent thinking. It's meta- It's metaphorical thinking. It's combinatory thinking, unusual associations, and of course your imagination. And so the words like imagination has been relegated just to childhood and we need to bring it back to adulthood because organizations that have highly curious and imaginative adjective people. Those are the organizations that are going to thrive.
0: Right. You know, it's it's interesting how we discount the power of our words or or we just don't pay mind to that. And I, I had a guest on this show to talk about his lived experience in school. He was going back to maybe he was 10 or 11. Teacher was teaching him about drumming and uh, had a complex rhythm to play. Right. And so he went back, practiced, memorized, tried to figure it out uh, and was able to successfully Play the rhythm, but it did become natural. He found a hack right into how to do it. And when he told his teacher this, the teacher said, Oh, you can't really play the rhythm then. And he gave up drums in that moment as a 10 year old, 11 year old. So, you know, I, I hear what you're saying there and uh, how those comments sometimes can really harm a, harm a child. Uh, and then when you were saying, you know, your take on creativity, I heard problem. Um, Identification, problem solvings, being solution focused, and you said uh, relevance, value, and novelty, right? And so I think that's just that's just great. It's like the uniqueness of the approach, the uh, the novelty, like you said, that you are actually finding solutions, not just identifying problems. There's a both and uh, to that definition, mm-hmm. isn't there? Mm-hmm.
1: And, and you're also okay with sitting with ambiguity. Mm. And so we look at people, um, I believe in my, in my book that was just published, I talk about how they looked at Shakespeare. And one of the reasons why Shakespeare's work, work was so profound is because he was able to sit with the unknown and an ambiguity for, for a, a while. And so especially with people in what's going on right now in society, that ability to sit with the unknown and not knowing what's going to have to happen. Your highly creative thinkers, they are more tolerant and able to to do, do that. And so dealing with that, and that's why I, I do say, you know, Creativity isn't only artistry, but artistry is a huge component of your creative thinking in non-arts areas. So in my book, I talk about um, Adam Grant, who's a psychologist, an organizational psychologist. And he looked at all of the Nobel Peace Prize winners from 1901 to about 2000. And he saw a great deal of them, about 80% of them had a huge arts background because the arts gives you training in the skills that highly creative people need, such as, you know, multi-sensory activation, emotional intelligence. You know, that's a huge word in the workforce and in uh, K-12 and um, observation skills, how to really pinpoint observation, pattern making, pattern forming. And I can go on and on and on. And so these Nobel prize winners who won prizes in science and non-arts areas, they had a huge arts background. And so that's why part of my work is advocating for the arts. When we strip the arts from our kids, you're not just stripping extracurricular playtime or whatever that, you know, because I was a music teacher as well. And it was like music always got cut first, you're right. And so the ones who are going to really thrive in this next type of Future of work are the ones who have this extra training in observation, emotional intelligence, adaptability. The arts gives you deep training. And part of my work is in neuroscience now. And we're also looking at the neuroscience, what the MRIs are showing us. That how the arts really strengthen different areas of, of the brain that you may not get with other types of, of content or exploration.
0: Yeah, it just lights up different areas and uh, really helps you connect. So thank you, thank you for sharing that. Uh, you mentioned the t- you know your book that's uh, just been released, and if I'm not mistaken, and thanks Jesse for the help. You know, you also have the uh, uh, PDF that you shared with me, the seven gems of intercultural creativity. So. That's that's a really awesome idea. And you're here to talk about that. So, what are the seven gems? And what is this idea of (laughs) intercultural creativity?
1: Yes, yes, yes. It is now my life's work. If uh, Abraham Lincoln said when he when he was writing the Emancipation Proclamation, he said, "You know, if I'm going to be known for anything, it's going to be known. I'm going to be known for this, and my whole soul is in it." And that's what I feel about the, the seven gems of intercultural creativity. When we were doing the research, you know, I I'm into the art artistry aspect. Of course, I have my uh, credential in multiple ed, um, or, or multiple sub sub subjects. So I really was aware of that. But looking at the creative aspect, looking at what cognitively is involved in creative thinking, we looked at that. But then I realized, you know, going into the workforce, you can be as creative as you want. And if you're in an organization that is, you know, microaggressions going on, there's no inclusion whatsoever. Um, There is just, you know, top-down top decision-making and no one else can get ideas to anywhere else. And, you know, there's stresses going on. So if there, if the environment is not conducive to creativity, you're squashing creativity. So that's where the intercultural creativity came, came in because we, we looked at the DEI work that people are, are doing and the creative work. And so when I saw the, the cognitive processes for each of those, what it means to strengthen your creative thinking, but what it means to strengthen your cultural connectiveness, your ability to connect it to different uh, cultures, your cultural competency. Okay, I was like, I know there's, there's what, like, what's the word? Um, <laughs> the ability to strengthen your cultural competence, which is your ability to connect with people with different lived backgrounds and to be adaptable and observe complexities between their experience and your experience. That's actually a developmental process. And so there's a form out there or a continuum called the IDI, the, Inter, the Intercultural Development Continuum in the intercultural development inventory, but it looks at your ability to have cultural competence. How well can you connect with people from different lived experiences, which is which is going to be, if not already, a huge topic within the classroom because mm-hmm. of our demographics changing, students, or teachers connecting with students with different lived experiences. And I just gave a, a keynote to the superintendents forum where we had over a hundred superintendents um, in Texas. And I showed them that the cultural competence and the creative growth mindset of the teacher is one of the highest indicators of student success.
0: Hmm. Tell us more that about is that. Huge, That's big. Yeah. that is
1: a huge. That is a huge. Look at Carol Dweck's work. Carol Dweck's work really supports that that statement that the she looked at classrooms that had teachers with the creative with the growth mindset mm-hmm. and especially for students from uh, marginalized dem- demographics and the students in the, the classrooms with teachers with growth mindsets outperformed other students and the students who were in classrooms with, with teachers who had fixed mindsets, because don't forget social contagion, my ability to see your potential that transfers to you, you, your, your subconscious is reading all, all of that. So if I don't think you can perform because of my biases, my previous experiences with students, with your demographics, whatever the influence could be, it's called the, malian effect. If I, if I don't think that you can perform in I may not be saying it with my words, but I'm saying it with all the other nonverbal type of communication we have that will affect your performance. So if you look at Carol Dweck's work, and I can forward you that particular article if you need to share, share that, it, it was a game changer because I went through teacher ed programs. I never did any training on, on unconscious bias. I never did any training on cultural competency at all, yet that is one of the major indicators of my students' success, my ability to connect and to bring in their cultural capital
0: and make sure it's infused into the curriculum as well. One thing, you know, we learn as, as leaders is to fix your face, right? Because those nonverbals <laughs> and the way you show up in your presence, it can have a huge impact, right, on, on, on how people respond. And unfortunately, well, I guess I fortunately, <laughs> yeah, thank you. But I, I, you know, I've experienced this myself. And I remember there was a supervisor that I just did not have a positive relationship with. And I call it management by two by four, because even though the district said, hey, we, we're all about um, innovation and learning from failure, you stick your neck out a little bit and do just a little bit different. Whack, the two by four came down. And what I found, too, from this relationship is because I, I believe my supervisor had a, a, a robust negative definition of who I was, I found myself making more mistakes and little mistakes, too, that have never showed up anywhere in my professional history other than that little microscopic experience. And so that's a really important point that you bring to the table. And how do we explore that as educators? Because it has such an influence and impact on our students. So really appreciate that. So Is there something that looks like yeah?
1: Go ahead. Oh, I'll expand on that really quick because it's. I think it's a bigger point that we need to be making more uh, front and center and center. Because in my my book, um, I I really got in and I you know as a K five, you know, I have manipulatives with with me and and hands on stuff. So there's. I'm holding a brain for those of you who are just listening to this, but the neuroscience behind it was key because you know, I, I tell people I've been in neuroscience for 20 years at UCLA. I was in and out of FN MRI machines working with my professors. I was like the the testing person. And my mom's like, why are you doing that? You don't know what they're doing to your brain. I'm like, but mom, it's science, you know, but now, you know, uh, 25 years later, I'm on the other end saying, okay, well, what is the data showing us? And the technology has gone, you know, so far, it's so advanced from 20, 20 year, years ago, what we're able to see. And so what we're looking at is the ability for our students and our our employees to produce depending on what type of leader they have. And, and the social um, the social contagion aspect that I mentioned before, that if if I even admit the fact that I don't believe in you or that I'm nowhere connected to you, that's why emotional intelligence has gotten so big in the past, what, five, 10 years, is because it has such a huge effect. And before, we're just rating people on, you know, grades or just these metrics and not paying attention to the underlying emotional cues. And if, and if you look at the work of Dr. Lisa Fieldman Barrett, she is, is really pushing the, um, the, the work in just the emotions, emotional granularity that people who are able to really label their emotions and label the emotions of others they're better leaders. So I have a three-year-old at home, you know, we're at home looking at emojis like, okay, well, how do you feel it? I want him to have more words than happy or sad. He needs that. Okay. I feel frustrated. Okay. Well, what do we do when we feel frustrated? Things that we do with our children, we need to redo with ourselves and increase our emotional granularity, which is our ability to have specificity and naming, and then now having actions to our emotions and empowering our students to
0: to do the same. Yeah. That's really interesting. Happy, sad, and angry. You know, those were my emotions for a while, but I had to do some really important work on emotional intelligence to try to develop that. So, yes, so, so, so important. Well, we need to pause here just for a quick message from our sponsors. But when we get back, I want to dig more into your life's work in in the Seven Gems framework. Learn how to successfully navigate change, shape your school's success, and lead your teams with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Get world class Harvard faculty research specifically adapted for pre K through 12 schools. Self paced online PD that fits your schedule. And you could apply at slash Harvard. Today's show is also brought to you by TeachFX. Research shows that the more students speak in class, the more they learn and the better they perform on all achievement sort of assessments. TeachFX has helped hundreds of schools increase their student engagement by visualizing for teachers what portions of class are teacher talk versus student talk. Get a 20% discount on TeachFX by using a special code just for the Ruckus Baker Nation. It's teachfx.com BLBS. And today's show is proudly sponsored by Organized Binder, a program which gives students daily exposure to goal setting, reflective learning time and task management, study strategies, organizational skills, and more. Organized Binder's color-coded system is implemented by the teacher through parallel process with students, helping them create a predictable, independable classroom routine. You can learn more and improve your students' executive functioning and non-cognitive skills at organizedbinder.com. And we are here now with Janine Letford, an award-winning speaker, best-selling author, and founder of this idea intercultural creativity her life's work we're here talking about it and i just want to reflect back to you janine when you mentioned that too and shared that abraham lincoln quote you lit up and so it is such an honor to share the space and stage with somebody who's in their in their just wheelhouse and so it is an incredible honor to be here with you so intercultural creativity we've we've touched on that a little bit but there's a component of it—the the seven gems—and we probably don't have time, right, to dig in depth into each uh, gem. But uh, and it's hard. But how would you? Concisely, you know, give an overview of the gems and this idea.
1: Sure. Well, don't forget, I'm an educator at heart. So, you know, if you give me three hours, we can do it. If you give me five minutes, we can do it. That's what we do well, right? Yes. Especially if you're in K K five, you have to know how 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 to adapt. (laughs) So once again, um, so creative thinking and cultural competence, we realize they're sitting on the same set of cognitive skills. And so those are the seven gems, those cognitive skills. The first skill is a creative growth mindset. Once again, based off the work of Carol. Dweck and just looking at if, you're not going to increase your creativity if you don't think you're creative. And so once again, my work is based off of neuroscience. So looking at the subconscious, you know, things that you're saying over and over again affect you. And cultural competence, once again, is a skill. So you can work on increasing your ability to interact with people with different lived experiences or as as an educator, you can work on increasing your ability to interact with students from different lived experiences and how to bring their experiences into the classroom and the content. What does that look like? So that's the first gem. The second gem is um, the the empathetic way. So looking at all the work of empathy and an open mind and an open heart. The number one indicator of a highly creative person is someone um, who's open to to new experiences. And the number one indicator of a highly culturally competent person is someone who is open to people with different lived experiences. So when you train that or when you practice that, that really affects your intercultural creative abilities. The third one you don't really hear a lot, um, a lot in um, in corporate training and K five and K twelve and PD. It's I call it cultural observation, but just observation in general. If we're going to be creative, we need to we need data to be creative with, right? Creativity is all about combining and recombining inf- information and new ideas, and so. The fact that our observation skills are already dulled, you know, phones are in front of people's faces like half the time and we're just not paying attention. So the word observe, it means just to see, but it comes from the Latin. It means to attend to. What are you paying attention to? And so we look at um, how to strengthen that and how to bring in observational skills within the curriculum, multi-sensory observational skills. The next one is cultural curiosity. And on my podcast, I think it's episode 74 of my Create and Grow Grow Rich podcast. um, I had Dr. Allison Voismeister who has her doctorate in workplace curiosity. Like who gets her doctorate in curiosity? But something that we were all born with kind of gets, you know, sadly, um, could be getting educated out out of us or just because of cultural reasons or what have you. And so when we do that um, for their K-22 experience, we end up having an uncurious workforce. And Dr. Allison's work showed that organizations, especially with the C-suite and your leadership level, the curiosity level of your leaders, highly just correlates with the health and thrivingness of the actual organization. So if you don't want to end up like Blockbuster, Kodak, and Radio Shack, you want to increase your curiosity,
0: right? Yeah, well, well, I'll pause you there just for a second, because I think those are all great examples. But if you think about the top, top leaders leading an organization, you have to be open-minded and curious. And, and earlier when you were talking about your definition of creativity, it's not even just hey, I could identify the problems, but it's also the solutions. And you mentioned being agile, all this kind of stuff. So uh, I think after, okay, we got a few more to go over, but I want to hear more how we might uh, accidentally or intentionally stamp out curiosity. So I'm just going to plant that seed. But okay, we've gone through, I think- Sure. <laughs> sure. No, I'm saying I have a whole chapter on that. Like, don't get me started
1: on that. But, uh, but I, I can't t- touch upon <laughs> yeah. a few things. Sounds good. Because it's something that we, we, we have to, to fix, and especially for K-12, because don't forget the formative years, especially for mm. zero to five, before they even get to us, um, it's critical. But the formative years is the foundation for the rest of their life. Like, I don't think we've really set, you know, sunk that in and, um, and we need more and more, uh, resources with a uh, preschool as well, because the critical neural years are from zero to four, but that's a whole other podcast right there. And so the, the next gym, curiosity, then we have perspective shifting. I had Dr. Michael Platt out of the Wharton school. Um, he's a neuroscientist and a professor in the business school over at the Wharton. And he talked about how critical it is for us to be able to perspective shift, which is attached to your ability to, to have empathy, right. And to ha- to feel the, the, the experience of someone else. And so people who know how to perspective shift, well, that's a creative skill, right. To, to look around problems and look in different ways, but it's also a cultural competence skill. Can you perspective shift? In in different uh, demographics, different, you know, ethnicities, different, just different ways of of life. And so that's a skill that we can implement into our teacher training, our our K-12 curriculum, and our own workforce for us. The next one is authentic adaptation. And that's just, we all know why we have to adapt. We've been in adaptation for the past two years, but um, I look at two areas of adaptation, crisis adaptation, which we all experienced these past few years, and also cultural adaptation. The definition of a highly culturally competent person is someone who can observe well and who can perspective shift and adapt their behavior in different cultural situations. So for our students to be able to thrive in this next workforce, they need to be able to adapt in different situations and in different job you know, requirements or different entrepreneurial pursuits, whatever it may be. Those who know how to pivot well, which we saw last year, um, can, can still thrive. And the last one is being the bridge. And I call it um, just your ability to, to bridge across different cultural groups. And so, and what so people want employees and team members who know how to they call it boundary spanning, who know how to bridge across different cult, cultural groups. They're the connectors, right? Malcolm Gladwell in his book um, talks about the power of the connector, that person who has their foot in just different worlds. And if you read the book, The Medici Effect um, by Johannesson Franz, he says that the the root of innovation, of creativity, is at the intersection of fields, disciplines, and cultures. That's where creativity thrives, at the intersection. So for K-12 and K-22, we have to kind of balance yes we you know people specialize but how do you specialize with still having a broad exposure to other areas and other types of, of thinking and other ways of, of being so what does that look like for this next future of work
0: uh, it's fascinating and uh, you know the seven gems this idea of intercultural creativity uh, is still cafestrategies.com? Is that the best place to, to point people? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And that's cafe, C A F F E strategies.com, is where you can uh, get all this information on the seven gems and in intercultural creativity. I can't let you off the hook. I just I have to ask, and I know it's another podcast, but just real quick, you know, f- especially for leaders that want to create organizations that innovate, that are intellectually curious, culturally curious. Uh, often we do things that actually stomp, stomp that out. And so in your experience, you know, what are some of those things that we should be uh, mindful of? Because I, I don't, some people might be doing that intentionally, right? Stomping it out. But I think a lot of times it's just unconscious sort of thing, but, and I could be wrong, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but anyways, what, what are some things that our leaders can look out for? Sure. Sure. Well, I saw that this was a huge problem.
1: So my son and I wrote a book together, my three-year-old son, um, called I am creative and what it does, it goes through the, the 16 gems. And I, I show what creativity and what curiosity look like in everyday day life, because the first thing is for us to be aware of, oh, they're being curious, you know, they're not being, um, you know, they're not trying to, you know, you know, battle me or whatever. They're they're being curious. They're they're investigating, and so what does that look like earlier on? And so we can, of course, you know, questioning is 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 well. And then we need to be mindful of something that um, Dan and Chip, who are all, author Dan and Chip Heath, they call the curse of 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 knowledge and the fact that here's an example. My, um, my son had some scissors. He was just sitting there and he started cutting his rubber mat, like his dinner mat. Right. And of course, as an adult, we're like, ah, no, like, no. Okay. But to him, he's like, oh, well, I've cut paper before I've cut, you know, the stuff on my desk. I've never cut rubber. I don't know what that feels like, but to me, I know what it feels like to cut rubber. I've already had that experience, but to him, he has not. And so instead of me, you know, you know, like, you know, disciplining him or whatever, like, what are you doing? Why, you know, to him, he's just, he's just curious. And so what I do as his educator and his mother is I put pieces of rubber that he can explore with and experience with. So I create an environment that he can do whatever he needs to, and he's not messing up my, my, my China and my linen. Right. (laughs) Um, And so that's one, one thing. Another thing is to really celebrate curiosity. You know, as adults, we just, once again, we know what, what it's like, but they don't. And so we need to see that when they're jumping in puddles, they were curious about downward force upon a liquid, you know, uh, we just see a mess, you know, <laughs> things like that. Um, Another, yeah. So I celebrate curiosity. If he's asking questions, I'm like, oh, that's an amazing question. I don't give him the answer right away because I want him to learn how to find, go through different routes to find information. But I celebrate um just his, his questioning, his curiosity. And another thing is, is I teach my other students to, to celebrate the curiosity and the quest. The word emotion is connected to the word uh, mo- motivation. And it's that, that internal drive, right? And so for students who really want to learn, they have to have that internal relevant connection. And so that's why I have a thing called start with art, where I start with an art piece for whatever topic that I'm teaching. We start with an art piece so they can be curious about, okay, let's, let's say I'm talking about, um, I, I'm a big civil war, Abraham Lincoln, person. So there's a beautiful art piece where Frederick Douglass is petitioning Abraham Lincoln in order to bring in Af- African-American soldiers into into to the war. And so we're just starting on our, our Civil War piece. The kids don't really know too much about it, but I just show them that piece. And they just ask questions. Okay, well, who are those people? Okay, well, that looks like Lincoln. Well, who is that guy? And so there's the, of course, the artistic standards are bringing in like, okay, the shading, the emotional intelligence, look at Lincoln's face. It looks very distraught you know there's your emotional granularity distraught um disturbed upset you know and so i'm bringing in all these skills that my kids are going to need in their adulthood but i we haven't talked about the civil war at all because they're just curious about what is going on and then we eventually get to the content as opposed to me saying okay kids open your books to page 42 let's read about the civil war or or you know whatever as opposed to really igniting that curiosity or having them listen to a musical piece. You know, the arts can be used to teach history or to teach about people and not bring in the arts, I think should be against the law because people communicate their existence
0: through artistic methods of communication. Yeah, I think I really appreciate that anecdote, too, because there's so many entry points into uh, relevant and and, uh, important topics, you know, that we want to teach in our classrooms. And the picture you painted, so to speak, is, right, students looking at this uh, illustration and asking questions, which makes them curious. And now they're open to receiving, right, that history lesson that you might, might want to uh, potentially sneak in there. So that was super cool. I appreciate that, Jeannie. All right. Well, uh, at the end of each show, I asked all the guests the same two questions. Cannot wait to hear how you answered these Janine, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for a single day, what would your message read? You are a diamond, shine bright, and be you. Love it. And now if you were building your dream school from the ground up, you're not limited by any resources, your only limitation is your imagination, how would you build this school? What would be the top three guiding principles? multiple methods of communication
1: and the joy of learning that that would definitely be be one where every almost like the Ron, Ron Clark, you know, the Ron Clark Academy, just that joy of learning and entrepreneurial threading, entrepreneurial type of thinking threaded into the content. So every. Thing would have a creative objective. Yeah, just you have your ELA objective, your ELD objective, but what's that creative objective and how would you bring it into the mark, the marketplace?
0: Janine, we covered a lot on today's show. So of everything we discussed, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? That we are
1: preparing our students for a future we don't know what it looks like. So let's give them the actual foundational skills that they can
0: weave into their own beautiful tapestry of a life well lived. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.